Are you exhausted, tired, depleted? I know during this uh, pandemic, I've personally been struggling with uh, a sense of deep down soul weariness. And uh, uh, it's been a pretty exhausting season for me. And uh, the good news is Psalm 1 addresses that deep down soul weariness, that exhaustion that many of us feel. My name is uh, Andrew Gross. I am the associate pastor here at Bethel Christian Fellowship. We're a house of prayer for all nations right here in the middle of St. Paul, Minnesota, and God's called us to radiate his life to all the nations around the world, and we're a safe place where strangers can become friends, friends can become family, and, and family actually become sentiments. So, so happy that you joined us this morning for this message. Well, <clears throat> Psalm 1 that we're going to get into today is a, is a really interesting psalm. Together with Psalm 2, it forms the introduction to the entire book of Psalms. And uh, the, originally, scholars think that Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 were a single psalm. And together, they introduce these two big themes that run through the whole book of, of Psalms. Probably the two biggest themes in the book of Psalms. The first theme is the Torah, or the teaching of God. And the second theme is the just king. And so this is a perfect way to uh, do our ongoing study in the book of Psalms uh, this summer. Because uh, we're trying to figure out this year what it means to follow and believe in and trust the just king. And the uh, book of Psalms is just a perfect way to do it. And uh, no, better, no better psalm than Psalm 1 to get us into that. Uh, well, this psalm, especially in these first two psalms, were really important for the Jews at probably the worst, darkest time in their history. I'm talking about the period of the Jewish exile. Now, that was the period in about 600 years or so before Christ when the mighty empire of Babylon uh, came and they, they uh, conquered the little kingdom of Judah. They tore down the walls that surrounded their capital city, Jerusalem, and uh, they took captive uh, thousands of their leaders and carted them off to be captives, uh, slaves really, in the foreign city of Babylon. And uh, that period lasted for around 70 years, and it was probably the lowest point in uh, Jewish history. Well, in that time, the Jews didn't have land, and they didn't have a king, and they didn't, worst of all, they didn't have a temple, a temple where they could meet with God. That was part of the significance and importance of, of a temple, was a place where humans could meet with God. So what were they supposed to do as captives, as slaves in a foreign country, and there was no place for them to meet with God? Well... That is where the book of Psalms comes in. Uh, the book of Psalms, uh, even though it was written over uh, many, many centuries, the oldest one goes back to Moses, Psalm 90, uh, and mo a big chunk of them were uh, written by David hundreds of years before this. But 
they didn't get pieced together into one single book until the era of the exile. And the reason for that is this uh, idea that uh, without a place to meet with God, a physical location to meet with God, the book of Psalms became what scholars have called a mobile temple, uh, a, t a place to meet with God. The idea was, the promise was for devout Jews, is that if they would meditate on God's Torah through the book of Psalms, if they would use the book of Psalms as a way to meditate on God's Torah, then they could meet with God without a temple. Uh, and so in that way, the book of Psalms itself was like this mobile temple. Now, it's really helpful to know this background because we find ourselves in a similar position. Did you know you and I are actually in exile? If we're followers of Christ, this is not our home. Uh, you might have a wonderful life, but it's still nowhere near as good as or as wonderful as the life that God promises us when Jesus returns and restores everything and establishes the new kingdom and the new earth. And until that time, we are in exile. The New Testament confirms this, it even says that we are in exile. But there are periods in everyone's life where it feels, where that exile feeling is even worse. It could be after a loss, it could be after a big disappointment or a particular challenge or trial. Uh, and uh, that's a season where we feel dislocated, disoriented, disconnected, and uh, we feel our exile uh, all the more in those seasons. We're, we're always in exile until Jesus returns, but we feel our exile sometimes worse than others. And I don't know about you, but this pandemic has been making me feel a little bit like we're in an exile. Everything's, everything's off. Uh, uh, things are disoriented. People are disconnected from one another. Uh, it's, a, it's a very tr difficult season for so many people. And that's part of what has left me feeling so exhausted in this kind of deep-down soul weariness. And, and that's where Psalm 1 comes in. So let's take a look at Psalm 1. So Psalm 1 is a classic wisdom literature psalm, and wisdom literature is that genre of literature in, uh, for the ancient uh, Hebrews, and actually many different people in the ancient Near East, that contrasts the wise way and the foolish way. And it tries to show us how to take the way of wisdom over the way of foolishness. And, uh, and Psalm 1 is just a perfect example of that. So let's, let's read that together. Um, if you could turn with me to Psalm 1. Very short psalm here. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sits in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the Torah of the Lord, and who meditates on his Torah day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. 
Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the day of judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Really interesting psalm here. Uh, it's trying to get us to choose one of two very different ways. Uh, and it does that by using these really powerful images, and especially if you were to live at the time, these images would just be emblazoned in your imagination. The first image is the image of chaff, and the second image is the image of the tree. So let's, let's get into those images a little bit. So chaff, now in an agricultural society, it still happens today, uh, chaff was the waste from the harvest, the leftovers from the harvest. Uh, you see, what would happen is that at the wheat harvest, people would bring in the sheaves. Sheaves were the, the long stalks, the long pieces of, of wheat grass, and they would uh, uh, gather them together in a, in a great big open place. And then uh, the first step they would do is they would crush uh, those sheaves. Um, they'd use tools and instruments, and they'd stomp on them, and they'd try to break down the sheaves into the tiniest little pieces possible. And then they would take something like a pitchfork and they would uh, scoop uh, a big pile of the, these broken sheaves and they'd toss it up in the air as high as they could. Well, the wheat, the, the, the kernel, the grain, is what they needed, what they wanted. That's what you use to uh, make bread. Gravity would pull those down because that, that was heavier. But then the pieces of the stalk they didn't need anymore, the, the leaves and the stalk, they were crushed up into little pieces at this point. Uh, when it was tossed in the air, the wind would come and just blow those, blow that away. And that was the chaff, the chaff that could, the, the waste that was blown away. And so when you use that word chaff in the ancient world, it would conjure up feelings of dryness and depletion and dehydration. Uh, it would give you that sense of something that has no foundation, no grounding, no rootedness to hold it in place. Chaff was that irritating waste. And it was the, the stuff that was so insubstantial that it could be just pushed away by a simple breeze. You see, the author here wants you and me to feel what the way of wickedness ends up feeling like for us. Uh, now, I, the author is not saying, and I'm not saying, that if you're exhausted, that means you're in the way of wickedness. That, that's not what that means. But what the author does want you and me to feel is that the wicked end up experiencing life as if it's like chaff. Um, it, uh, if, if one persists in the way of wickedness, you know, at first it seems very fulfilling and very satisfying and very exciting and alluring, but if one persists in the way of wickedness, they begin to feel like uh, life itself feels like chaff to them. Dry, depleting, dehydrating, no foundation, uh, irritating waste, quickly blown away by a mere breeze. That, that's what life begins to feel like for someone who persists in the way of wickedness. And the, the author wants to remind us that that's what it feels like. Well, in very sharp contrast to that, we have this beautiful image of the tree by streams of water. But we see especially 
in verse 3. And that image of the tree, what, what we get there is we, we have this sense of security, this sense of settled certainty that there would be a constant refreshing wave after wave of resource and nourishment. Uh, we get this image of fruitfulness and this image of flourishing. It says that the leaf doesn't even wither. Of course, that would be usual in an un, sorry that would be very unusual in an arid region like uh, the ancient Near East. Uh, most of the trees there, the ones out in the forests, they had to wait for months at a time before they even got a, a drop of rain. But if a tree was planted by streams of water, its roots could constantly soak up that nourishment. And so Psalm 1 here is really, it's an invitation. It's an invitation that entices us with the tree image, and it repels us with the chaff image. That stark contrast both invites and entices and repels us at the same time. Because, of course, like all good Hebrew wisdom literature, the author here wants us to take the way of wisdom, wants us to follow the way of wisdom, and wants us to reject and avoid the way of wickedness. But here's the problem with that. Life usually isn't so stark. Uh, this image here in Psalm 1, it's a very stark difference between the tree and the chaff. But uh, life usually doesn't feel that way most of the time, does it? It feels gray, it feels complex, it feels uncertain. Uh, it's often hard to pick the way of righteousness over the way of wickedness, because sometimes they actually look really similar. So how are we supposed to figure out the difference? How are we supposed to embrace the way of the secure tree by streams of water and reject the way of chaff, uh, that irritating waste? Well, fortunately, the author here leaves us a, a couple really important clues. And the first clue I find in uh, verse 1, and that's this image he paints of the, the person who sits in the company of mockers. And the image here is the image of, uh, so, so mocking and scoffing is kind of the ultimate expression of somebody who has settled down in hardened unbelief. Uh, the, the mocker or the scoffer isn't just sort of flirting with wickedness or experimenting with wickedness or testing it out or uh, oh, let's just see what it's like. No, the image here, this, uh, this third person in verse 1, uh, this mocker, this scoffer, uh, they, they've settled down. They've made a kind of a permanent lifelong decision to settle down in scoffing and mocking the ways of God. Uh, it, it's not just, oh, uh, let's, let's see what wickedness is like. They're, they're like, no, I'm, I'm choosing the way of wickedness and I'm rejecting the, the, the good way. And so that, that is a key here. That's a, that's a hint for us to help us understand if, if we find ourselves sort of settling down in that place of mockery and scoffing the ways of God. Uh, when, when we think of the ways of God and we just sort of inwardly sneer at it, like that's, that's ridiculous, then we know we're headed in the wrong direction. All right? Um, a second key that the author has left us is uh, in verse 2, where he talks about delightfully meditating 
on God's Torah, delightfully meditating on God's Torah. Now that word Torah can mean a lot of different things, a very broad range of meaning in Hebrew. Uh, most simply, if you just translate the word itself, it just means teaching or instruction. But it can also very generally be referred to as God's will. Sometimes God's will is just called Torah. Uh, it can refer to the whole covenant between God and Israel. It can get more specific and refer to those 613 commands that God gave Israel. Uh, or it can be even more specific and refer just to those 10 commandments uh, that are the, the, the very heart of, uh, of the covenant between uh, God and Israel. Um, or, even more broad, it can go back out and be really broad, and it can refer to the whole story of those first five books uh, of the Bible. So all the way back from creation, the patriarchs, the exodus, the wandering around in the wilderness, the promised land, all of those stories can be referred to as the Torah. Uh, well, interestingly, uh, you, you know what devout Jews, when they were talking about the Torah, one of the things they would say about it was that they would, they would call it this, they would say the Torah is the way, the truth, and the life. They said the Torah was the way, the truth, and the life. Well, who else said that the Torah, or who else talked about the way, the truth, and the life? It was Jesus. John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus actually says about himself, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so if we're looking at Psalm 1 through the eyes of the New Testament, we actually, this is actually not just a call to meditate on the first five books of the Bible or the Ten Commandments uh, or God's will. This is actually a call to meditate, meditate on Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. Now, I don't want you to get put off by that word meditate. Um, a lot of people think that's some weird, spooky thing. All of us are meditating all the time. Uh, you're meditating on something right now. Meditating just means to dwell on something, perseverate on something, be preoccupied with something. Sometimes we meditate on things that make us happy and joyful. Probably most of the time, most of us are meditating on things that makes us anxious or scared. Uh, but we're all meditating pretty much all the time. And so Psalm 1 invites us to, instead of meditating on all those other things we could be meditating on, it invites us to meditate on God's teaching, God's instruction, and, again, if we're looking at it through the eyes of the New Testament, meditate on Jesus himself. But the real key here, the real difference that we need to pay attention to, is how are we supposed to meditate? How are we supposed to meditate? You know, the, the Pharisees that Jesus condemned, they meditated. Most of them had the entire Old Testament memorized, and they would put all of us to shame at how well they uh, could quote Bible passages at us. So it's not just meditating on Torah. It's meditating, the word, the key word here is delightedly. God is inviting us in Psalm 1 to delightedly meditate on Torah delightedly meditate on God's message, God's instruction, and especially Jesus himself. Now this was the secret to the Jews surviving the exile. This was their secret. 
Remember, they didn't have a physical building anymore. That had been destroyed in the conquest of Judah. And so while they were in exile, their, their only alternative to meet with God was to meditate on Torah through using the Psalms, through the Psalms. And that's how they were able to get that inner endurance to survive the exile. And it's similar to us today. We are in exile, as I've already mentioned. And so the question is, what's your meditation? What are you meditating on? And is that meditation, is it going to help you be that, that tree planted by streams of water that's strong during drought, that leaves doesn't wither, bears fruit when it's supposed to? Are you going to be that tree? Or are you going to be that chaff that gets blown away at a mere breeze? Thank you.